0: Welcome to episode 319 of Live Happy Now. In case you haven't noticed, but I'm sure you have, our world has become increasingly divided recently, but today's guest tells us how we can begin to close that divide. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and today I'm talking with Peter Montoya, a thought leader, speaker, and author who promotes civility and self-leadership as a tool for change. His new book, The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation, looks at the challenges we're facing as a society, how technology and media have assisted in creating more damage, and what each of us can do to help stop the conflict. Peter, welcome back to Live Happy Now.
1: Paula, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: I am thrilled to have you here because we're having such an important conversation today. And man, I've been so looking forward to having this talk with you. And before we get started, I think it's really important to note that even though the title might sound like we're talking about politics, this is really about people.
1: Mm -hmm. It
0: is. All right. Great. So just clearing that up, going in, this isn't we have not turned Live Happy Now into a political show. So no. <laughs> <laughs> so with your new book, like you are talking about the second civil war and you say that it's here. Can you tell me what that war is about? And what started it?
1: It's a great question. So, first of all, we clearly know it's not like our last civil war, which obviously had you know two different armies, two different governments, and two you know very very well defined organizations over a well defined issue, uh, state versus federal rights and uh, slavery. That was what that last war was about. And this war is best described as a social civil. War. It is interpersonal more than it is between two different organizations. It is you know parents against children. It is friends against friends. It's coworker against coworker. That's where this civil war is being held right now. I don't know anybody who hasn't lost a friend or now has a, a distance family member over political differences.
0: Yeah. And that's tragic when you see Mm -hmm. we are discarding valuable friendships, valuable relationships over politics. Yeah. And it's happening commonly.
1: That's why I wrote the book is that I did that, too. I was doing a lot of the behaviors, the shaming and the shunning that I describe in the book that a lot of people were doing. I was doing it, too. And so I really wanted to find kind of the evolutionary reason Why do we do that? So when we come across somebody who has a different political opinion than us, why are we morally outraged? Why do we shame them, you know, basically threaten to expel them? And then why do we actually expel them? Why do we do that? Especially when we know everyone knows it doesn't change anybody's mind.
0: That's the thing that gets me because I have Two brothers, my two oldest brothers, very polar opposite in beliefs, religious, political, all down the spectrum. And they had such a huge blow up. They are not speaking to one another and probably never will based on the things that were said and the. Things that have been said since then, and it's like, come on, you guys know you're different. You grew up together. You know mm-hmm. you don't see things the same way. So why does it matter to us now if someone else sees things differently than we do? What has happened here?
1: oh Gosh, so I'm going to go back uh, 10,000 years or 50,000 years to when <laughs> so we were. So this could take
0: a minute. <laughs>
1: just just a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to give all the 20,000 years of history, but I'll give you a, a quick snippet. So we are our herd animals. We really are herd animals, and we're incredibly tribalistic, and most likely, you know. Most most people have been on a, in a psychology class, and we learn about all these different cognitive biases. We learn about confirmation bias, and we learn about these different heuristics, and we learn about our in-group, out-group bias, and we kind of learn this list. But that in-group, out-group bias, or our desire to create tribes, is probably one of the strongest biases that we have. We are incredibly tribalistic, and it did an incredible job at keeping us alive. So 10,000 years ago, we most likely were in a very small tribe. Probably no more than about 150 or 200 people. And we knew every single person in that tribe every grandparent, every parent, every child, every teenager. We knew them all and we trusted them implicitly. Now, let's just say that we are the green faces. We find some, you know, some kind of paste and we paint our faces green. (laughs) And you and I are out walking in the forest one day and we turn a corner and we see. blue face. Oh my gosh, the dreaded blue face. All of a sudden, you and I are raising our spears. They are raising their spears. We're yelling at each other and maybe we run away or maybe we get in conflict. But as soon as we see another tribe, that's how violent our reaction is inside of our own minds. So here we are 10,000 years later, we are civilized enough and been enculturated enough that we don't want to stab or kill somebody. But still, that area in our midbrain, that lizard brain, Still has that same violent reaction. These people who are sharing a different political opinion are not in our tribe. What is wrong with them? I got to protect myself.
0: We've argued over politics for generations, but not like this. Yeah. So what happened to change that? What lit that fire that's made it just such a volatile topic? (sighs)
1: It's a good question. So there's a couple of different things. So uh, number one has been the saturation of our media. And also, obviously, we have at least two different information silos, but probably there's far more than that. But broadly speaking, two different information silos. So as there's no national narrative that we all can agree upon, that is part of the problem, that we have two separate realities. And that really started happening about the time of the Iraq war, when they started creating a different narrative, and it really cleaved the country into two different Information sets. Up until about uh, the Iraq War in two thousand three, we were all operating on the same narratives. So that's one part of it. And another part of it is we've been saturated by media. I mean, we are you know on our phones where there's internet news, there's cable news, there's TV news, there's news on gas pumps. Uh, we're looking at it on our phones. We've been completely and totally saturated by political news. I mean, there are things, issues now that were never political. I mean, can you imagine a time of there being an ice storm and it becoming a political issue? (laughs) Right. It's it's bizarre to me.
0: Yeah. Everything feels like it's been politicized. And, you know, it's interesting if I spend some time at Say, at certain in laws' house, and they listen to a very different news channel than I do, I get an understanding of why they are so rabid, why they are so passionate about where they stand politically, because the narratives are so different. It is not like we're covering the same news stories.
1: No, it's like we're in two completely separate countries. So we as a population made a really big mistake. So in the late 90s and early 2000s, most of the major newspapers and local newspapers came and said, hey, listen, we want to continue providing you quality journalism. And we are losing our subscriber base, our advertising base to the Internet. And we want you to pay subscriptions so we can continue to provide you honest, trustworthy, accurate news. And we as a civilization said, no, we'll go to the internet and we'll get it for free. <laughs> we'll
0: google something.
1: Don't we'll google worry about something. Us. So what news media has done is largely said is well the best way to get people's attention is to politicize it, to scare them in some way, to make them feel that they are somehow uh, in some way under threat and that is the best way to capture their attention and now we sell more advertising. So we made a mistake when we said we were unwilling to pay for subscription for high quality journalism, mm-hmm. it like basically enabled this mechanism of selling outrage driven advertising. That's what it basically is.
0: And now it's just permeated every social media channel, every, it's throughout our lives. We see it everywhere. So, like, who is fighting in this civil war? Is it all of us? Is it? It's a lot of us.
1: So, this really dates me the movie War Games. Uh, I do remember, that, remember that.
0: So, I guess it dates me too. <laughs>
1: Uh, and what the computer realized, uh, moral of the story was, the only winning move is not to play. And that is pretty much true. So the first thing we have really got to realize as consumers is reality is a construct, so as much as we'd like to think that the construct is reality, it is not. It is just a construct, and it is assembled by somewhat of things in our mind that already exist in our mind, and then also all of the media and news sources, and all our friends and everybody else. It creates a construct which we believe is reality. So one of the most important things is is don't believe what you think. <laughs> so. <laughs> Hold your opinions really, really loosely and realize that if you think that half the country is out to get you, uh, you are most likely a pawn in somebody else's game. Mm -hmm. So news media want you to believe that so you continue to be addicted to their shows and keep consuming their media. Uh, So the side you shouldn't be angry at is not necessarily the other side. It actually is the media that has you convinced that the other side is the enemy.
0: Right. So how do we start backing away from this? Because instead, it's our nature. We want to double down. It's like the Mm -hmm. more social media pushes stuff at us and the more things we see... It's not our nature to back off. We're going to like double down, get involved. We are going to win this, you know, for our side.
1: Right. That's exactly it. We have forgotten that it's not Republican against Democrat. It is Republican and Democrat against our collective problems. So that's what's changed is that we are more interested in beating the other side than solving our problems. So there is a mentality that, you know, I want to make sure that I'm going to fight for what I believe in and I want to beat the other side. So just so we're clear, that is a zero-sum game. It will not win. There were 750,000 people died in our first civil war. If we did the same thing in this civil war, it would be like devastating. You would lose everything. (laughs) So if you think we are going to go to a violent civil war and it's somehow going to be better for you, it is not. We will lose everything as a country if we actually go to a physical war. That is not the solution. And the next thing you might think, well, my job is to change somebody else's mind. Changing somebody else's mind really doesn't help you that much. It really doesn't. The best person's mind to change is your own. Um, And so your job as an American, first and foremost, is to objectively see reality and change your own mind. So if you are thinking that I'm going to read this book and I'm going to give it to somebody else and fix them, you're
0: pointing (laughs) the wrong direction. So- we as individuals don't think we are the ones that need changing though. Mm-hmm. Because we believe this for a reason. And of course, we think we're right or else we wouldn't believe it. Right. So what is it? Do we just need to come to the middle, come more center? What change needs to take place within all of us in order for us to start healing and be able to work together as a country?
1: Wonderful question. So first of all, I was there. I was frothing in the mouth. I was laying in bed, stewing, you know, absolutely furious. You know, I was there. And what I came to realize and what I read is the more news you consume, the more misinformed you are. So there is this part of our survival instinct is to consume news. We want to make sure we know all the threats. However, what's happening with our news media today is the more you consume, it's been researched to death, the more news you consume, the less well-informed you are, you are more misinformed. So I don't personally watch any more news. I don't watch TV. I don't watch YouTube clips. I don't watch cable channels. I don't listen to radio news. I don't listen to any of it. And yet I'm still reasonably well-informed why? Because things that are important for me to know, people tell me. <laughs> they're, they're conversational topics. You so mean you don't act,
0: Google it? You don't just Google
1: it? <laughs> or you can do that too. You know, if I need to know the weather, I look at an app on my phone. If I need to know traffic, I look at Google Maps. It not that hard to find the information that I actually need to be informed? And if I want to research on an issue, I can certainly do that too. So yeah, stopping consuming news is probably one of the best things you can do to get better informed.
0: And what does it do psychologically? You also talk about yeah. what the news... Consumption is doing to us physiologically and yeah. psychologically. Can you address so,
1: that? Yeah, outrage and fear is actually addictive. So, we probably all have a family member who spends all day plastered to watching cable news. They get in their car, they listen to more news or talk radio. They get to work and they're listening to it at work, and they're basically swimming in an ocean of fear. And anger and outrage which is actually highly highly addictive and all of the byproducts come from this of course which means a lack of sleep poor relationships poor health it's all bad <laughs> it isn't making you safer it's not saving you from any kind of outside threats all it's doing is you is helping you rot from the inside
0: So then what is the cure for that? Because someone who is truly addicted to news, to the outrage that it brings, you can't just go cold turkey and quit watching the news. Like for someone like myself, it was easy to back away from the news. I started this in 2016. I was like, it is no longer healthy for me to watch the news as much as I have. And so I check out the local evening news. Mm-hmm. every night at 10 and I record it so I can flip through the parts that are causing my blood pressure to rise. And that is the only news I consume right now. But for most people, it's not a case of where I can just walk away from it. Um, well, no, so how well, do you start?
1: Fortunately, news addiction is not nearly as bad as chemical addiction or alcohol addiction. And yeah, people can either dramatically reduce it and or stop it. And actually they will feel better within just a couple of days. So it isn't quite the same as those really hard, awful, terrible chemical addictions, people can get off of it fairly quickly, especially once they realize the price they're paying for it. And so that's usually the exercise I kind of walk people through is having them look at the price they're paying for it, the stress they feel, and then challenge them to do a week off and then go from the week to 30 days to 90 days. I've got one friend who went cold turkey for 90 days talking to his wife 90 days later and she could not hug me enough (laughs) to thank me because she actually had her husband back who was always, you know, watching TV and ranting and raving about how awful it was. Politics has become the new religion for a lot of people. It's like a way of life. It's almost like watching professional wrestling, but in the public sphere, you know, there, there are good guys and bad guys. There are gods and villains. There are these prophets. Uh, there are people who help us as, as talking heads, which are kind of like the Hasters who help us interpret the moral reality of it. And so, yeah, we have gotten into politics at such a point that it has become, Our way of life, and we are fighting these kind of epic battles, hoping that our side beats the other side and these soldiers go down or get taken off the battlefield. That's what's become for a lot of people, and it really isn't reality, and it really isn't healthy, and it really isn't necessary.
0: And so, what do we do? Because I know people like the gentleman you mentioned, I know a, Mm -hmm. a guy that goes to our CrossFit gym, and his wife. Nearly cost him his marriage because yep. he was so distraught over the election, so distraught over the way things came out, and he could not get past it. How do you curtail that and get to a healthy place?
1: Well, I think you just mentioned the other really great addiction. You mentioned the wrong word to me, which was CrossFit. So yeah. let's quit news and get in CrossFit because I'm a, an addict. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love CrossFit. Yeah, so yes. Yes you will destroy relationships. The cost is really, really high. The stress on you is really, really high. And what's also really interesting, and I've got it in the book, the charts are in the book. It actually charts different years and shows things like unemployment by year, economic growth by year, debt by year, tax collection by year. And you can actually look at it on a year by year basis. It doesn't show you what year it is or what present it is. And you will be confounded to figure out what president was actually in office during any one of the years that you like or dislike. You will come to realize fairly quickly that who is the president of the United States doesn't matter nearly as much as you think it does. So one of the reasons people are so enraged by politics is that we oftentimes derive our status by our leaders. And so for a lot of people, they might say, you know, Joe Biden is not my president or President Trump is not my president because they attach their status their social standing to their leader. And this, once again, is an evolutionary psychology thing that we've been doing for tens of thousands of years. And if you're doing that, you got to stop doing that. That's not healthy. It's not true. It's not wise. They just happen to be the person in charge right now. You may like or dislike what they do. But I remember presidents over the last 20 years who I violently and vehemently disagreed with. And now I can barely remember what I disagree with so much. I mean, if I look at the most marked things that happened to me over the last 20 years, none of them were attached to a political event. Not a single one. All of them were, were personal decisions.
0: How do we keep the civil war from progressing? This is a pretty... Big thing because the Civil War, it is not just a few people that are involved now. It's really reached out across all walks of life. So, first thing is this we know this
1: is you cannot change someone else's mind over social media. We know we cannot argue with somebody and change their mind. We know we cannot use facts and figures to change somebody else's mind. We all know this from the last five years. We know none of those things work. Now, strangely enough, the most effective way to change somebody else's mind is to be in a relationship with them number 1 <laughs> and number 2 is to change the waters that they swim in so as much as our instinct is when somebody shares a political or social position that we are makes our hair go on fire that we get outraged and we just want to stand up and start screaming at them that is exactly the worst thing That could happen. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that uh, Republicans so encircled and protected President Trump so much and they denied anything that he may have done wrong was because Democrats were so incredibly shrill and constant with their attacks on him. If the Democrats never said a single word criticizing President Trump, the Republicans probably would have done a better job policing him during those four years. It becomes almost an immunity response. So when someone, you know, if I started attacking you, Paul, which I would never do, I started yelling at you. And even if the things were true, you would get defensive and say, no, it's not true just because Mm -hmm. the attack is so ferocious. So we think that the more ferociously we attack, the better off it's going to be. It's not. The first thing we can do if we want to change somebody else's mind and get along with them better is we're actually be in a better relationship. We don't attack their ideas. So that's one thing we can do. A second thing we can do, and I had this question before, and I was with a friend and they said something completely and totally racist. What am I supposed to do there? (laughs) So the next thing you can do is a really important technique called gray rocking. And gray rocking is where you give them the absolute minimum amount of reaction. You are like a gray rock. And so if you're with a friend who says something that is socially or politically inappropriate and you don't feel you can explain to them in an empathetic, kind manner what the flaw was, is you just gray rock them. And that means you look at them. They know you heard them, but you don't show any kind of facial reactions. You don't make any kind of changes. And this technique is kind of interesting because it's not necessarily condemning. So, and so they had no reason to argue back. It just causes them to know I was not approved upon. And it's time to move the conversation on to something else.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that, because I mean, we all are in that situation now where people will say something that I'm like, I do completely disagree with that statement or that's completely inappropriate, yet I don't know how to respond without inciting you. Yet by not saying something, I almost feel like I'm betraying whomever it is they're putting Mm. down. So that's a wonderful solution for that.
1: It really is amazing. So it allows you for you to go, I don't approve of you. However, it's not to the point of shaming where you're you know, trying to attack them and they feel they have to defend themselves. There is just this subconscious feeling where we all want social approval, where what they said was not approved upon and they will just move on to the next topic. They will become so uncomfortable. They'll be searching for something else to say is what happens in most of the times that you say that.
0: That's terrific. And then you can look for some more common ground yeah. with them. Yes. And I love that. That's a fantastic tool. So we have some healing to do. We have a lot of healing to do. Yeah. Where do we start that with our, you know, you talked about maintaining relationships with people. How do we start healing the relationships that are damaged? And how do we grow into a better society? One that's more cohesive again?
1: So one of the challenges with the pandemic is we didn't have a lot of national narratives to rally around. We didn't have a Super Bowl with fans. We didn't have a World Series. We didn't have an Oscars. We had those things, but they weren't the big events where you go to work and we had something in common to talk about. We didn't have the big movies this last year. We
0: didn't even go to work. Right.
1: We couldn't go to work. So there used to be all of these national things that would happen. Sometimes it was Saturday Night Live or the Super Bowl or some kind of news event and we would be able to go and talk about things in common that were not politics and so we've been home this last year and many of us have just been completely saturated in political news and by the way i used to like the late night comedians but the late night comedians in 2015 all went political so those are no longer unifying anymore johnny carson it used to be incredibly okay. unifying. Democrat, right. Republican, it didn't matter. He got to everybody. But now most of the late night comments have all gone liberal. The same thing with Saturday Night Live. So conservatives don't feel safe. So we can't talk about those comedy acts anymore either. So we've got to look for things to talk about that unify us that are not politics. And it's actually a really big world. There are, are lots of things <laughs> yeah. we can actually talk about that are not politics. That's what we got to focus on.
0: But there's also now COVID throws another wrench in it because yeah. there is another point of division for us. Yes. So how do we avoid those landmines of politics and COVID? And because, again, that's a real hot topic for people to fight over it
1: is. Whenever I talk about COVID, I always talk about it on the personal level. So I get out of talking about policy, you know, mask, no mask, vaccination, no vaccination. And I just talk about my personal experience with COVID, what it's been like working from home and raising kids and taking kids to school and trying to socialize. And I keep it on the personal level. And that's where we've all have kind of had the same level of suffering and misery.
0: That's a great way to handle it. You know, your background, your sense of community and your commitment to building communities, really, how do you see this playing out? Are we going to rebuild our sense of community with one another?
1: Yeah, I think so. We've got to have some systemic changes and probably the best place is going to happen in social media. We're, I think, going to see a revolution here in social media in the next three or four years With social media right now is being gamified for division. So it wants to put people who are at odds with one another, getting them arguing. And it's really even more powerful probably than cable news is at both indoctrinating people and getting people really revved up. So the social media systems have got to change. And I think there's some things in the horizon. They're going to change that. That Changing the systems is going to help us even more than on an individual level, realizing we have to to take personal responsibility and getting along with one another.
0: What is it that people can do as they're walking away saying, all right, I know I have some culpability here. I have an opportunity to evoke change. What are some steps that they can take right now to start? making that
1: change? Number one, don't believe what you think. Half of what you believe is untrue. Me too. I don't have a monopoly on the truth. So I'm always constantly looking to make myself wrong, not make somebody else wrong. That is a huge one there. And as soon as you realize that, you start embracing reality. That's number one. Number two, dramatically reduce or eliminate your news intake. It is not helping you. It is misinforming you, not informing you. Number three, realize you cannot change somebody else's mind by arguing with them, by sharing facts. You can do it is incredibly, incredibly rare. The best way to change somebody else's mind is to be in relationship with them. So if all of your friends are only Republican or all your friends are only Democrat, all we're doing is pushing us farther apart. You want as many friends from the other side, as it were. I don't really believe in the other (laughs) side. That's kind of a mental construct. You want as many friends as possible. That is the best possibility of changing someone's mind is by relationship.
0: That was Peter Montoya, author of The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation. If you'd like to learn more about Peter, order his new book or follow him on social media, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We will meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.